Welcome to Nightlife, the first hour. All right, Toby's in. Motor Talk with Toby Hagen. Uh, Toby, good, uh, good evening, how are you? G'day, Phil, very well. Yeah, you're doing all right. You were, at the, you were at the Tesla Investor Day. I wasn't at it, no. It, was, <laughs> it took place in, uh, they, they, in they Texas. Did they fly you over there as a Texas? <laughs> the Tesla doesn't fly anywhere, so... <laughs> no, it was over in, uh, at their Gigafactory in, um, in Texas, So, which is... They obviously shifted their head office from California over to Texas whenever it was a you year. You know how they've got ago. that big Gigafactory in Texas? Hmm. But they don't make all the ones we get in Australia are made in China, aren't they? Yeah, they've got four four main factories. So one in Germany, Berlin. Is that a Gigafactory Plus? That's just a standard Gigafactory. Standard Gigafactory. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, and then they've got um, the Shanghai one, yeah. which is where our, ca- our cars is come from. A, is that a big Gigafactory or just a, That's a, a mega big Gigafactory? Factory. Or a mega factory. <laughs> and then they've got their original factory in Fremont, California. Oh, come really? on! Ask me if that's a gigafactory. It's not. Is that a giga? <laughs> <laughs> and then so they've they're... got one giga, one one, one normal, one normal, <laughs> non giga, <laughs> one non giga in Germany. No, no, the Germany Germany's one's a, a bigger one. That's yeah. a giga one. Yeah. And then they've got the Texas one. Okay. Mm. Uh, and then they just announced today actually that they'll be opening one in Mexico as well. So oh. they'll have uh, another one in Mexico. So where do they make most of them? In in China or or are they all spread around? They're all spread around, but I think. I would think China's one of their biggest at the moment Mm. um, because Berlin's just, well, sort of still ramping up and Texas is also ramping up. So they're going to um, start building the Cybertruck, that radical ute, Mm. later this year out of the the Texas one. Uh, Oh, they are going to build that, are they? Yeah. Well, they say they are. (laughs) They say it'll be late this year. Remember, they said it'd be last year and they Mm -hmm. also said it'd be the year before. So... I wouldn't be surprised if it stretches into next year. But, um, but yeah, they are in, still intending to build it. And, um, uh, yeah, so they – and the Fremont factory, the California one, yeah. is uh, – that produces the Model S and the Model X, of which we haven't had any in Australia for over a year now. So it's um, – so they're the bigger, more expensive ones. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, yeah, so all of ours, yeah, for – well, a couple of years now have been out of China. So yeah. And they're all the – they're essentially the three which is being sold here. Model 3 and the Model Y. Yeah. So, which are, they're basically the same car. Um, they're a slightly different body, but mechanicals, everything else. The in company's the banging on saying they, got, they want to double Toyota's sales by the end of the decade. Hello. Yeah, this I mean, is it. Because they, they, they actually, <laughs> what? Toyota are the biggest car maker in the world. Yeah, Toyota is. And, they, and look, roughly 10 million vehicles a year. And Tesla's saying we want to get to 20 million by the end of the decade. Which is an incredible ramp up. I think they did one point four odd million last year, yeah. which still is a, is a pretty impressive number for a, effectively a fledgling brand. Uh, and yeah, they're saying they want to get to, to that. But it was funny they did a Q and A at the end of the the big presentation went on for um, best part of three hours. Mm-hmm. So it was I, th- I thought oh, this would be good. I'll watch it for an hour, just stream it online, and three hours later I'm peeling my eyelids apart trying to still watch it. Mm-hmm. But they they did the Q and A at the end, and they had a lot of the executive team there, which is a little bit unusual. Normally they focus obviously on the boss, Elon Musk, and he was in the centre taking most of the questions. But someone asked him said said to get to this ten uh, twenty million planned vehicles, how many models will you have? And he just sort of said, ah, oh, don't know, probably ten. Roughly. <laughs> so the fact e- either he was 
you know, being what? a bit coy about it, or he was he was sort of saying, or, or they haven't actually nutted the whole thing out yet, which I'd be stunned if they hadn't, because car companies do have to think a fair way ahead. Well, a new model takes years, doesn't it? It does, but that said, the, the, the hardest part of the new models are things like your drivetrain, the basic structure, hmm. um, all that sort of stuff. Once you've got that done, it's relatively easy to do what they refer to as top hats, so to put a different sort of body on top of the thing hmm. and still use all the same stuff underneath. Hmm. So this, they, the person sort of asked, asked them, you know, will, are you intending to do multiple vari- variants of, of all these sorts of things? And he, and he said, no. He said, I think the industry's spread out too much and he, he actually used the the phone market and as an analogy he said if you look at the the phone market 15 odd years ago there were a hundred plus types of flip phones like mm-hmm. everyone had a flip phone and, the, and there were so many different types of them yep. and now you're down to you know i guess six or eight main types of of smartphones well pretty much everyone has the same don't they I yeah mean, they there's sort of the there's same. mainly two or three i guess that, that that take up the bulk of the sales and then you've got a few others kicking around but it's yeah. it's it's i guess he's the point he was making oh, was right. it's all sort of condensed down like they've gone from having this enormous choice to pulling back and he thinks the car market will do that as well, well if so. you look at what tesla i don't want to spend all the night talking about tesla but if you want to look at what tesla if you look around in australia at least Pretty much everyone has bought a white Model Three. Yeah. Model Three. I mean, the, it's which, the same. It's which the, annoys a lot of people because you uh, well, can hardly think it's if you got a white, if you got a Tesla, you're not really special because you've got a white one. That's which, right, which is everyone's got. But the white one is the cheapest colour. Yeah. But it's funny. I went and looked into this oh, a few months ago. It's the cheapest colour in most countries, but in some countries, I think I think Hong Kong was one of them. It's actually black is the cheapest colour. So all of a sudden, the black ones sell really well, and then the white ones not so much. So, uh, so it's basically people saying, oh, "I'll just get the, the cheapest one, and then yeah, it's white, and off it goes." So, so yeah. yeah. But yeah, but look, incredible. Um, well, some of the stuff they're talking about. I mean, they're already ahead of the game on things like efficiency mm. and technology, and they're talking about in, um, developing a new architecture, a new platform to go under the cars. And they say they're they're targeting to manufacture the next generation vehicles at half the cost that they're doing them now. So halving how much it costs to produce the vehicles. Now, they didn't talk about size of vehicles, but the, the expectation is they'll be, they'll, they will have some smaller vehicles coming through. Mm-hmm. And in the US, a lot of the stories have, have centred around a car potentially around the twenty-five to 30000 US dollar mark, which would suggest somewhere around about the forty dollars to $45,000 mark in Australia. So if they did that... I think they'd um, have a pretty serious volume car on their hand. They would. They wouldn't, wouldn't they? Terry from Queensland. G'day, Terry. Hello. Hi, Terry. G'day. So who's that? This Phil? is this is Philip, and you've got a, your Toby's with us, uh, Terry. And oh, g'day, I, Phil and Toby. Look, I'm a regular listener. Good on you. I'm 82 year old. Yep. I listen to you every week. I haven't rung in before because uh, my problems haven't been sort of mm. large enough. Yeah. Uh, 58-year married, six, seven, very sick wife, yeah. thinking about my last car. Ah, you I want one to go out? Do what to go out in, Terry? Sorry again, please. You, you want you want the last car? Okay, yep, yep. It's my la- it'll be my last car, and I just really want something large-ish, like mid to Holden Falcon or bigger. Hmm. And comfortable, something that's easy to get into and out of, particularly for my wife who is not at all well, not interested in electrics until they resolve all the potential issues that we've got with those. 
or hybrids I might consider, but I just want a big car. If I could buy one tomorrow, it would be a V8 Holton Commodore statement, <laughs> something like yep. that at my age. Of course, you understand that. Yeah, I do, yeah. Well, I don't know. Let's well, let's put the question to Toby, uh, Terry. Tobes, what are you? Hey, thanks, Phil. Thank so, you. So, hey, thanks for taking my call. No, too. it's a pleasure, Terry. We'll just wait there for a sec. So, it sounds like you've been into traditional large Australian sedans. Is that right? Over the years, the current one is a thirty-year-old Nissan Patrol WD. There you go. Thirty-two. Yes, okay. I've been into those all my life. Yeah, right. But it's a com- it's a comfort thing. We don't travel large distances. It they're hard to get into the modern cars. They're very low for old codgers like us. Yeah, well, that's why sometimes and a lot of a lot of elderly people tend to obviously gravitate towards SUVs because you get that extra height, particularly the higher hip height. So getting in and out of the vehicle is often a little bit easier. Um, and for that reason, I mean, something like a Subaru Outback, it's not a V8 Commodore, I admit, but a Subaru Outback might do you pretty nicely. They've just introduced a turbocharged version of that. So it's a four-cylinder turbo engine. Um, it's, it's not scorching performance, but it's certainly easy and effortless performance. And the car itself is very comfortable, easy to live with, decent space, decent boot space, and good in the back seat as well. So it's a comfortable, easy car to live with. I'd certainly stick that one on the consideration list. Um, you. you can also look at you know things like, I know they, some people think they sound a bit bland, but a Toyota Camry is still a um, extremely convincing vehicle, and the hybrid version of that is also um, well worth a look. The Camry hybrid is about the only one I'd look at in a hybrid. Yeah, and that's and that does well. It, it does a very nice job, and you've also got once you're in the Toyota showroom, have a look around at some of the other options in in hybrid. So a Kluger, for example, is very big. You, I, I can't imagine you need anything quite that large, but it'll certainly give you the space that you you seem to be um, or one of the things that uh, you're chasing. Uh, but they've got a number of other things. You know, Corolla Cross, for example, is also worth a look. Uh, you could also have a look at something like a Volkswagen Passat Alltrack. So again, a um, quite a uh, well, it's a wagon, but it's a um, a decent sized wagon and and also a very nice driving car. So those sorts of things would be on my list. And and the other thing with the Passat, it's got a they've got a well a one sixty two TSI, a pretty high performance uh, version. You can also get a um, a two hundred six TSI as well with with all wheel drive. So a pretty sporty sort of high powered all wheel drive version as well. So it's um. Okay. Worth a look. There you go, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. No worries, Tim. Thank you. And, uh, I mean, I, no, I get that. <laughs> I remember my mother-in-law once buying a washing machine saying, well, this will do me out. This will see me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thinking, well, you probably, that's right, a washing machine probably last 15 or 20 years. That's, yeah. <laughs> so she was doing the calculation and thinking, I'm not going to buy another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> on you, Terry. one three hundred eight hundred. Triple two is the number. Uh, lines are free if you want to grab one. One three hundred eight hundred triple two. Hi, David. Yeah, good day. How are you going? Not Thanks bad. For your program, guys. Pleasure. Thanks for taking the question. We're trading up from the Colorado Seven in two thousand and fifteen, which we used the tow caravan, and we're looking at a Max. We just want to know how well you rate the Isuzu Max and LTS in terms of reliability, and is it worth buying in terms of our caravan towing? Uh, yeah, the MUX is, I mean, reliability, it's, you know, the current car's been out for, 
what, 18 months or so, something like that. So I guess I, ca- I can't give you a definitive um, answer in terms of what it's going to be like in five or 10 years if they're still going to hang in there. But Isuzu as a brand has a pretty strong reputation for reliability and the previous MUX obviously sharing its ar- architecture and engines and so on with the, the D-Max Ute also has an excellent reputation. So I think from a reliability perspective, I guess the reputation's there. Uh, I haven't heard any negatives with the um, with the current car. So, um, so yeah, I mean, from that perspective, it's, uh, it's I guess, getting off on the right foot. Um, and, yeah, look, as a, as a tow vehicle, pretty solid. Obviously, it's got that uh, the off-road credentials going for it as well, so for adventuring and so on, although they do also do a two-wheel drive version, which is... Um, for a lot of people, they, I guess they want that uh, that big heavy-duty tow capacity, but not necessarily the off-road ability. Uh, but I'd also stick a Ford Everest on the, on the list as well. So the Everest is a little bit more expensive, but it's a – things like the infotainment, the interior presentation – uh, ahead of the MUX and also the driving experience is a little bit of a, ahead of the MUX as well. And you can also get an optional V6 engine, although that V6 has a little bit of a waiting list on it at the moment, I believe. So you might actually have to queue for that one. But it's certainly worth popping into a Ford showroom and having a look at that um, that Everest as well. No worries, that's good. Okay. This will sort of be the second last car. It won't be the one we go out with. <laughs> <laughs> you got a bit. You got a bit of life left in you. Thanks, David. Bye bye. One three. Buy the sports car all convertible <laughs> later, right? <laughs> oh dear. Vivian, hi, Vivian. Hello. How are you? Very well, thanks. That's good. Um, my question, please, is: I need to get a Ute to tow a horse float, tandem horse float, uh-huh. and I've been given every time I go to a dealer I, or. I need to buy second hand. I can't can't afford new. Um, I need. I get different advice. No, you don't need that. Um, you need to. You know, this car will tow it perfectly. Um, you know, but what my research has come up is that I should get something that's a three point five ton, um, as opposed to a three point one ton. But is that really such a big difference in towing? Uh, so. Part of the reason someone might be suggesting that, you've got two figures you start having to take into account once you're towing a pretty heavy load. So the first one is um, your GVM, gross vehicle mass, and the payload. So obviously when most people tow and tow a heavy load, they often want to put luggage and or people in the vehicle. And um, sometimes, particularly with SUVs, a little bit less so with utes, but particularly with SUVs, you, you can very easily breach that gross vehicle mass. So you can... You can throw the the three ton trailer on the back, which is going to if you if you do the normal loading of the trailer, you'll have three hundred kilograms pushing down on the tow ball at the back of the car. You then got to subtract that three hundred kilograms from the the payload of the vehicle to work out what it can take. And with some of the utes and so on, you can get pretty close to it. And the other figure you got to take into account is a gross combination mass, which is the weight of the trailer, the car and everything you put in both of them. So everything from knives and forks through to the, the people and the luggage. So, um, and again, How would I find out what that was? So that'll all be quoted in the specifications of the car. It'll be in the owner's manual and so on as well. Uh, and you've just got to start doing the calculations and figure it out. But I guess so So even if you're not carrying a three-and-a-half-ton um, trailer on the back of the car, sometimes it can be good to have that payload on there or have that uh, load capacity available because then when you put everything else in the vehicle you're not going to go breaching uh breaching the other the, those other two things your gross combination mass and your um your, your gross vehicle mass so 
So that I think that's why you may be getting some of that advice is because often I, I, some of the calculations I've done, and, and I think of the previous Volkswagen Amarok was one of them. When you loaded it up with the uh, the, the max on the on the trailer you had something like 220 odd kilograms left to put in the vehicle and that's everything that is all your luggage your people so the minute you put four people in the car you've suddenly gone over uh, over the limit and they can't take any luggage so so and look that 220 kilogram number is not right it was 200 and something from memory but it, it wasn't much is the short story and and that can happen with a lot of them so it's um so yeah having that extra even if you, your van isn't or your, your trailer isn't that much can be a it can be beneficial when it comes to um to towing those sorts of weights Okay, so then, thank you. So then we're looking at, I think it's the Ford Ranger or a BT50, I think. that. But then I got told they, they have the same engines in it and there was a specific, or a year, and this gets a bit political, I don't know <laughs> to say it, um, there was a year I got told to avoid because they thought that was the year that there was a lot of engines blowing up. Yeah. But then I don't know what blows up. Like if yeah. it, someone said, oh, you, if you get the... Redo the pistons, mm. uh, no cylinders. Um, then that that'd be fine. But wh- how can I find out on which which so, is a good model? So yeah, not? I mean you're right in terms of same engine. They're not only the same engine; they're basically the same car underneath. So they did a pretty clever okay. job of changing the the panels, the you know even door panels and and boots and headlights and that sort of stuff to make them look different. They came out of the same factory. Um, they had exactly the same three point two liter five cylinder turbo diesel engine. Um, the Ranger, so the previous generation Ranger we're talking about here, um, the Ranger throughout its life cycle then got an optional two liter twin turbo four cylinder engine, which was the premium engine. And it was hooked up to a ten-speed automatic transmission. So, so that that engine had some issues in terms of reliability. I think they've ironed them out now. They say they certainly have with the the new model, which they use a version of that engine in. But um, I'm not aware. You may be right. I'm just not aware of the issues with the 3.2. The Mazda never got that two-liter. It only ever got the five-cylinder. Right. And um, I'm not aware of a particular year where they had those problems. As I said, you may you may well be right, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a general rule, you'd sort of say the later the better uh, in terms of, you know, often they'll, they'll figure things out and start um, doing some running changes along the way to, uh, to address potential issues. So, um, right. so yeah, the later the better. But, but I'd literally, I'd, I'd buy them off. Um, I wouldn't, it doesn't sound like you're too phased about the brand. So, so look at condition, look at kilometres, look at servicing history and how the vehicle's been used and uh, try and buy them, you know, choose between your Ford and your Mazda off that. Okay. Okay. That's brilliant. Thanks Thank for, you. Thanks for coming. Bye bye. Beryl at Rye. Hi, Beryl. Hey, Toby. Thanks for taking the call. Pleasure. Um, I've been doing a bit of research on a new car for myself, but not for maybe two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've looked at. I would like like to know how you talk about the hybrid, like the Camry, which I understand basically how it works. And something else that's on the market, a plug-in hybrid. I looked um, just on the website at the Mitsubishi SUV. Yeah, Outlander. Yep. Uh, that one. Now, what I want to ask you is pros and cons between a hybrid like the Camry and then this option of plug-in hybrid. And couldn't work it out from the Mitsubishi website, which is very promotional. But <laughs> what like are the options? I know. Well, there's a lot of pictures on there and so on. But what I want to know is what are the 
several options for running a plug-in hybrid, as in full-on battery, full-on yeah, yeah. petrol. And, and how would you sort of assess them both? Because they're both petrol cars, really. Yeah. So, um, I mean, hybrids have been on the Australian market now for over 20 years. So we've had, um, you know, Toyota's led the way on hybrids and they've done plenty of them. And as you say, the technology, you run a petrol engine, um, two or three electric motors, depending on which one you're looking at. And um, uh, it runs purely on petrol. So you can't uh, recharge it externally. Um, They do have, they often have an EV battery, uh, sorry, an EV button in the car where you can press the EV button You'd be lucky if you get half a kilometre, a kilometre out of it if the battery's got full charge in anyway, it. No, the only reason you would ever so use don't that actually run is to, um, to make the car quiet when you're taking off in the morning or something like that because you're going to end up having to... And welcome back to Night Live. This is ABC Radio. Toby Haggins with us. Um, Toby, yeah, go on. Um, yeah, so, no, they... Sorry, your question was they don't use the battery. Is that right? Well, it sounds like you were saying they just run on petrol all the time. They do, but they'll use the battery. So what they use the battery for is capturing energy. So when you when you're braking and so on, um, normally you you um, uh, you know a disc grabs the brake and the brake caliper sorry mm. the brake caliper grabs the disc. You create heat. The friction stops the car. Um, so instead of doing that, they can also do regenerative braking. So it effectively reverses the flow of the electric motor and creates electricity instead of using it. So you use that electricity later on. So they have a battery pack. It's a very small battery pack. It's usually around about one kilowatt hours, which to put that in perspective, your average EV has between 50 and 100 kilowatt hours of, of battery capacity. Okay. So it's it's a fraction of what a, a regular EV's got. So a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, it's doing the same thing, except you've got a bigger battery. So they put a a bigger battery in there to give you some electric vehicle range and to allow you to recharge the car externally. So you can plug it into um, uh, an EV charger. You usually get something like 30, 40, 50 kilometres from that charge. Um, And you obviously then have to charge it. You know, if if that's all you're driving every day, you're charging the car every day to try um, try and keep the battery full. You've got the petrol engine there if you want to uh, do longer trips and so on. So the pros and cons of each, um, you know, a, a regular hybrid, it's known technology. It's very affordable these days around about a two and a half, three thousand dollars $3,000 premium over the regular one. And it does genuinely save you quite a bit of fuel. It will reduce your fuel bills by 30 40 50%. A plug-in hybrid, um, the, the negatives... It's far more expensive. You're paying for a bigger battery pack, so it's a lot more expensive to get into one. Usually, sort of ten or fifteen thousand dollars more. Uh, and but the benefit, obviously, is you can then drive it on electricity almost entirely, almost solely on electricity if you want to. Um, you do have reduced power. You don't have a massive amount of power when you drive them in electric only. And as I said, it's a relatively short range. Nothing like the range of a regular electric mm. car. And they're probably the two negatives that. I look at and say that's why I don't think plug-in hybrid technology makes a whole lot of sense because it does cost quite a lot, but it's usually up around the... You end up having to pay around about the price of a regular electric vehicle and you don't get anything like the benefits of an EV. You still have to service the petrol engine. You still have to drag around that petrol engine and that impacts things like um, your electric efficiency, your performance, all that sort of stuff. So... um, so, yeah, I'm a little bit cold on most plug-in hybrids. I think, um, as I said, the hybrid tech, I can see a point. I can see the point of that because of the affordability and the pure EV tech, I can, can understand the plug-in hybrid tech. 
doesn't float my boat as much. Mm. Okay, thanks. Are CVT transmissions like the Corolla and the current Nissan, Nissan Qashqai reliable these days, says my texter. Yeah, pretty much. Various brands over the years have had issues with them. I know Nissan's had some issues six or seven years ago. Honda had some issues 10 or 15 years ago. Um, most of them, to my knowledge, have been ironed out. These days, CVTs are pretty common. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of brands that use them, including some luxury mm-hmm. brands as well use them. Um, the issues they had early on uh, tended to the, – the problems tended to arise around the higher torque engines, so bigger capacity engines where they had um, had issues sort of containing the torque and so on through the system. But, yeah, these days I haven't heard as much of an issue. The other thing is keep in mind with the Toyota – some of the Toyota CVTs, uh, they actually have a regular first gear as well. So instead of – so they use a traditional first gear – Mm-hmm. like you've got a normal automatic transmission. And then once you accelerate and you're up to 20, 30 kilometres an hour, it'll then transition over to the CVT. You can't really feel any of this happening. And then the CVT takes over. So it sort of um, gets rid of some of the negatives of the CVT when you're accelerating mm-hmm. from a standstill, um, but then allows the benefits of it okay. once you're up to speed. Interesting. John from Geelong. Hi, John. Sorry uh, for waiting. Thanks for waiting on. Yeah, not bad. Um, I've got a question. The new Mazda 3.3 litre turbo diesel, six cylinder, straight six. Mm. They're coming out later this year or early next year. I was wondering if Toby's driven one. I haven't, unfortunately. No. So, um, so yeah, the CX sixty is the car it's coming in, and there's also same engine will be in a CX ninety as well, so the larger SUV. Uh, I haven't been in one yet, so I haven't. So there's none in the country, or none that we can drive yet in the country. So, um, so unfortunately, I haven't driven it. But um, apparently, yeah, apparently they got three hundred and forty horsepower. Um, so I think you might be getting confused with the plug-in hybrid version. So the plug-in, so they're going to have in that CX60, they'll have a six-cylinder petrol engine, inline six-cylinder, inline six-cylinder diesel engine, both of them turbocharged. But the the flagship of the model, the model with more power than any of them, is the four-cylinder plug-in hybrid. I haven't done the power and or the the kilowatts to um to horsepower conversion, but the most powerful version in that CX60 is the four-cylinder plug-in hybrid. So it's got more power. It's 241 kilowatts. Um, so, yeah, whereas in the CX90, they are going to have a fraction more power in the six cylinders. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it'll be up around, it'll be over 200 kilowatts in the in the, in the modern, um, hmm. modern money. So, yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right, John, thank you. Paul from Townsville. What do you want to do, Paul? Oh, hi. <clears throat> Welcome from Townsville. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you trying? What are you trying to do with your Suzuki Swift, Paul? Another towing question, actually. Yeah. Um, not not EV, but I've got a 2005 Suzuki Swift, which I've just inherited from a relative, and um, mm-hmm. it's basically brand new. But I need to tow a trailer, and I'm wondering um, what Chris's thoughts are on Toby's. whether it's worthwhile putting a tow bar on a little Suzuki oh, Swift <laughs> to pull a, you know, an eight by four box trailer with maybe a ton in it. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, 
So most of those, even a lot of hatchbacks and so on, generally had a tow capacity of up to about 750 kilograms. You'd have to search it, search the tow limit on, mm. a, on a Suzuki Swift Which of that era. Which wouldn't be much, would it? No. Uh, I've just done a quick search now. It looks like it might be a tonne. So, oh, so okay. you right. might get it up to a tonne. But you're going to be working it pretty hard. I mean, they're not a. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what engine you've got there, but they had a 1.4 liter engine that was wasn't exactly uh, overpowered. It was a fairly modest engine, and I think throwing a ton on the back of that might challenge it. That said, it was a hearty look. The engines in those Suzukis, they were extremely reliable. They um, they were very willing. You could rev them, and uh, they loved it. But um, uh, it's it's not going to be in its element dragging around a ton. And as I said, you'd want to check. Uh, the weight of your trailer with the load in it. Because, as I said, from what I can tell, it's roughly a tonne um, tow capacity, and you're certainly going to be challenging a vehicle uh, like that. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's not going to do it super easily. You'll also have to have... So anything over 750 kilograms, you'll have to have trailer brakes on it. So a, a box trailer... Most box trailers don't that I'm aware of don't have don't trailer have brakes. brakes. No. So anything over 750 kilos, you will have to have trailer brakes. And, um, you know, you can use the mechanical brakes, the ones that just sort of push against the, the front of it. But, um, but yeah, you'll have to have some sort of braking mm. system if it's over 750. But, yeah. Maybe rethink it, Paul. Thanks. Thank bye. bye. Hi, Jamie from Diamond Creek. Yeah, how you going? Not bad. Um, I'm wondering about um, diesel trucks, you know, like uh, your big... Heavy haulage stuff. Are they going to ever do them in do in um, electric? They already are. So, um, so yeah, the the uh, a lot of the truck manufacturers around the world are already building uh, electric trucks. And um, I've sp- I've never driven one. I haven't got a truck license, but I've spoken to people who have driven them, and they say uh, they're incredible in terms of the performance that they get. Um, uh, you know, un- when the when the truck's laden, apparently the performance is incredible mm. because the torque of the electric motors works so well. The challenge all those trucks have, obviously, and, and is range. Yeah, it? is range. Yeah. yeah. So it's um. So look, some of the big trucks in Australia may not necessarily travel too far on a daily basis, but there's certainly plenty of them that will do interstate travel almost daily. And uh, those ones, obviously, with a battery electric truck, will um will struggle. Uh, but look, one of the things the trucking industry is also um, working on is hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. So still electric vehicles and typically using exactly the same electric motors, but instead of having the big battery packs, you have hydrogen fuel tanks and, uh, and a fuel cell, which does a chemical reaction to create electricity. And, um, and therefore you don't need anything like the weight to carry around in the battery packs. So you can um, you get, guess, get, I guess, the same benefits but without the need mm. to carry around tons and tons of batteries. But yeah, the short story is they're already doing them. They're um they're not they're certainly not popular in Australia, but they're um yeah, mm. they're around. Okay. What would be the cost saving for one of them? Uh look, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I know that, you know, the trucking industry uh, to my to my knowledge works on, you know, how many cents or dollars per kilometer it costs them, and I know that uh in in some of the calculations I've heard of uh, have them as being very competitive over the long term. I, I think, like any electric vehicle, the initial purchase cost will be higher, but the running cost will be lower. So you'll have uh, much lower running costs once the truck's on the road. Mm. Okay, thanks, uh, Jamie. Kia Seltos. Hello, Alan from Coogee. Hi. Can you tell me uh, what do you think of the Kia Seltos, particularly the all-wheel drive? 
Yeah, I really, I'm a big fan of the Celtos, and um, and I think uh, as a, I, I think the biggest negative I could throw at it is that um, it was much better value about two years ago. <laughs> they've since, uh, like so many cars, they've been edging up in price, and the Celtos has certainly succumbed to that a little bit. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, the the regular one, so your front wheel drive version, as you probably know, has got a two liter four cylinder engine. Once you get to the all wheel drive version, you get a smaller engine, one point six liter. But it's got a turbocharger, so it does have um, a lot more grunt. So it's uh, it's a nicer car to live with, and yeah, combine that with uh, I think a very practically sized body, um, a, uh, a well specified vehicle for the money. It's certainly still value wise, even though the price has gone up. Value wise, it's uh, certainly one of the one of the better of those compact SUVs. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Al. Now, what's happening with prices of, of cars, Toby? Are they we we talked over the last year or so about how they've gone through the roof? Yeah, are they on the way back down again or not? No, they're doing the opposite. They're all right. going up. So right. it's it's funny. Even when... secondhand cars? Yeah. Oh no, sorry, secondhand. No, secondhand cars are um, they're easing. So right. secondhand prices are definitely uh, they're not as stratospheric as they were. They are on some individual models, and and a lot of the models that have got mm. crazy prices are. are Heavy-duty off-roaders, so um, Toyota Land Cruisers, um, Suzuki Jimny's, hmm. that sort of thing. There can be some crazy prices on those. But no, the market is is starting to return to some form of normal. Uh, there are still elevated prices on some vehicles, but um, but you know we're starting to see depreciation again, which is something that uh, some people haven't had to worry about with cars for a while. New car prices are going up, and that, to some extent, obviously that then flows through to the used car market. But it's it's funny. I mean, Ford Ranger, for example, it had a price rise in the last few weeks, um, and I think it's the second one for that model. But uh, as in this generation car, one of the biggest price rises I saw was for the Nissan Pathfinder. So this is Nissan's seven or eight seat uh, SUV. Mm -hmm. Um, They launched it two months ago, roughly something like that. It was in December. And the start price was in the mid fifty thousand dollar mark, somewhere around there. They've since so two months in, they've since axed the two base model cars and got rid of the front wheel drive versions. So you can now only get the very highly specified all wheel drive versions. And the cheapest Nissan Pathfinder you can get is seventy seven and a half thousand dollars. So it's it's a, <laughs> effectively a twenty odd thousand dollar price rise now. Sure, they've uh, put more equipment in it and, you know, all that stuff, but you cannot get one for, for the previous price. So, mm. it's, um, so yeah, and there's a bit of that going on where they say, okay, well, most people are going for the, you know, the mid-spec or the higher-grade model, so we'll just get rid of the base one so you suddenly can't get that. <laughs> and, and Mercedes-Benz is an interesting one. So they, they now do this agency model. So you're buying from head office. You're not buying from a dealership. So you go online and have a look at all their models and... Every time I go on and have a look, I, I can't think of the last time I spotted a base model car. So they all say, oh, we've got, you know, the super large wheels and we've thrown all this extra gear in it and blah, blah, blah. And that's the price. And it's, you know, got some price that's about $20,000 more than you're expecting. And then you try and price up a standard one. So, okay, mm. just give me the base car. What is it? And I find it extremely hard to do. Their, their website's, yeah, it's not that easy to use. And yeah, it yeah. sort of tries to funnel you down this thing of, no, buy the one with all the gear on it. Up's it's crazy. Trying to upsell you all the whole time. Yeah. Uh, speaking of trailers on very small cars, uh, Phil says Bob near Tamworth. Hi, Bob. I put a tow bar on my Citroen Dercy V and made a 6 by 3.5 foot light trailer to match. 
Yeah. I got the tow bar certified by an engineer for 650 kilograms. I've done thousands of Ks with it. Generally only <laughs> 300 to 400 K load, but it's been very useful. There yeah. You go. Oh, yeah. Well, can be done. Yeah, it can be done. And it's... Mm. Um, Barry's, yeah. uh, Barry's in Perth. Hi, Barry. Hi, Phil. Uh, and get, get a, uh, the other bloke, I forgot his Toby. name. Uh, Toby. <laughs> Toby. Toby, that's very, very, he, he, he's, the main, he's the main man here. Go on. Look, <laughs> I really need his help. Look, I'm above the knee amputee. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a car at the moment, and I need something I can put a fold-up wheelchair in. It has to be automatic, of course. People have told me that the Camry... Is uh, the boot is quite ample to put a fold up in, but I just wanted to know because I'm on a shoestring, probably be about 10 years old. I've got five, seven thousand maximum to get a car uh, that's reasonably reliable. Um, good luck. <laughs> uh, can you give me some help of which way to go? Well, look, certainly Camry will tick the box of. Um of reliability and and of those older vehicles and um, uh, you know ones that have potentially done quite a few kilometres that'd certainly be um, somewhere towards the top of the list. Um, you know you can also start looking at things like a, a Commodore Sport wagon and some of the uh, you know the, the wagon versions of those. They wouldn't have the reputation for longevity of a Camry, but uh, if okay. you buy carefully and buy a um, you know well looked after one as opposed to you know, something that uh, maybe has been thrashed by a, um, a business owner or something, then, then yeah, it can, uh, you know, you can potentially do all right there. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, any of the, you know, you can then start looking at some of the mid-sized SUVs, a Mazda CX-5. Um, CX-5, yep. yeah. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and, again, reliability-wise, okay. something like that should be fine. Subaru Forester be another one to, um, to stick on the list as well. I head towards a Camry, is a particular model or a particular motor or a particular year that was uh, superior than other Camrys? Um, uh, you know, around, say, 10 years old, about, I guess. So generationally, I mean, the, the current generation car, which is imported now, obviously, out of, um, out of Japan, um, so, okay. so the ones you're going to be looking at are Australian-made vehicles. And yes, um, sure. and they went. They made them up till 2017. So if you can get one of that last generation car, which would have come out around about 2011, 12, somewhere around there, uh, oh, yeah. then okay. that would be that one of those would be the pick. So they started that last generation of Aussie-made Camrys. I thought were pretty good. They also had hybrid hybrid versions of those, and they were um, were mm. solid as well. Okay. Oh, look, thanks very much, Toby. Look, I want, want to know if uh, what I'd get for my uh, Studi Baker Lux. Oh, <laughs> have a look. Have a, you can look that up, Barry. You and your mate. Wouldn't uh, have a clue. Wouldn't have a clue. That's right. Thanks, mate. Toby is with us. Uh, a few texts here. What are Toby's thoughts on converting existing ICE vehicles to EVs? A few months ago, there was an announcement that a local company, I think it was in Victoria, was going to convert Hiluxes to EVs. Yeah, so there's two. Well, there's one in particular, a company called Rove R O E V, and um, and look, they're doing. Uh, so they're doing, I think, Ford Rangers and Toyota Hiluxes back to 2016. So you can bring in your your high mileage um, your right. car from way back then and get it converted. Now the conversion costs from memory are around about fifty thousand dollars. So oh, it actually wow. gets slightly more expensive hmm. for the. Why would you bother? Um. Well, as an EV, it's a relatively cheap EV, I suppose that's <laughs> particularly true. an all-wheel drive one that's, oh, I suppose um, that's, true, so, that's yeah. doing the things. So 
I mean, it's it's aimed at businesses, that sort of thing. So it's mm. aimed at, at fleets trying to convert to to mm. electric because mm-hmm. there's a lot of fleets trying to get their um, get their CO two usage down. So um, so it's really aimed at them. And they're actually, I don't think, I don't actually think that company Rove is selling to um, private buyers at this stage. Yeah. So so yeah, uh, but in terms of converting your EV. Or any car to EV, there are other smaller businesses that do it that um, will, you know, pretty much have a go at anything. You, your starting price is around about that fifty thousand dollar mark, and you can go well north of that if you want to start, um, you know, getting getting uh, more power, bigger batteries, all that sort of stuff. Mm. So, for most people, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they just think. I'll buy a brand new car and get all the new body and everything that goes with it. Mm. It'll tend to make more sense for someone with a collectible car or something like that, where they can, uh, you know, potentially take something that either wasn't getting driven much or has recently had an engine blow up or something, and uh, all of a sudden they can give it a, a new lease on life. All right, motor talk with Trevor with Toby Hagen. Uh, <laughs> you love this. Will has texted in. <laughs> Will Hagen, everybody knows, is Toby's dad <laughs> and listens to the program. Of course he does. Uh, hi, Will. Good to hear from you. When Toby was three years old, he... T- <laughs> when Toby was three years old, he toured Europe for two months in a Citroen Dursi V. Are we there yet? Was his favourite <laughs> phrase. phrase. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear, he says through gritted teeth. Uh, <laughs> on your Will. All the best to you too. Greg from Perth. G'day, Greg. Oh, hi, yep. Thanks for taking my call. Pleasure. Um, look, I've got a, um, a dedicated gas Falcon. Mm-hmm. Beautiful car. 325,000 kilometres, and it just runs like a treat. Cheap to run everything. But it's getting harder and harder to, to get gas. And I keep hearing stories of garages removing yeah. the, the gas. Mm. Is there any... Well, two questions. One, what's the future of gas? Because it's pretty... Thought it was a clean fuel, but anyway. And the other one is: is there any? Uh, can you convert a dedicated Falcon to back to petrol? Yeah. Look, I'll start with the second one. Second question first. I'm I'm not aware of it. I mean, it was obviously the same engine, the same basic engine, and you've obviously got dual fuel systems where they can run both petrol and LPG. Um, so but, yeah, look, I just, just dedicated. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, so look. I think, I think you probably could somehow, but I, I tend to think you'd end up spending more money doing it than it'd be worth doing. You know, mm. with a, with a car that that old, I think you'd almost be better off um, offloading it and and spending on on another car because I think it'll end up costing too much. Uh, but I don't know a hundred percent. You know how 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 big a job it is, all that sort of stuff. In terms of LPG availability, um, yeah, I mean, look, it comes down to supply and demand. The 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 Petrol stations will be saying, well, okay, we don't sell much of that anymore, so I'll get rid of it, which will give the bloke down the road, potentially your biz- you know, the business that he was having will suddenly go there and it makes a bit more sense for him. But in terms of the future of LPG, um, you know, I can't see a future for it generally. It hasn't got a future. We haven't, no. ha- haven't been able to buy cars now for years that run on LPG. It's basically just servicing the, the, yeah. the limited fleet that's out there now. What they call a legacy technology, Greg. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of it, it's a shame. It's a beautiful fuel. Yeah. Probably. So in terms of in terms of the cleanliness, yeah. I mean, in terms of I guess the exhaust emissions, yeah, they were, you know, they had some benefits, but uh, obviously the negative they had was that, like any fossil fuel, it's you produce CO two um, by burning it. So it's um, so yeah, from that perspective, they uh, they were 
they they still you you still still produce CO two. Sure. So and, okay. yeah. All right, Matt. Thank you, um, Anne from Adelaide. Hi, Anne. Oh hi. I'm thinking of getting a brand new Mitsubishi Hybrid Eclipse Fev. Mm-hmm. My my question would be: at this priced car, for an older person, why do they not have the automatic back door on it that lifts and drops by itself? <laughs> Um, so all of that stuff comes down to product planning. So you've got um, a bunch of people who sit in a room and they look at the availability of uh, or what the features that are available on that car and then they'll say, okay, we might want to have two model variants of it in Australia. So we'll do a cheaper version, a more expensive version. What do we need to step up for in the more expensive model? So they'll put things like leather and sunroof and all that sort of stuff. Um Sometimes when they're choosing those things, the head office will say, well, if you choose the sunroof, you've also got to tick the box for another thing. So sometimes some options are linked for the product planning people. They can't have one without the other. But look, it it may not be available globally. Maybe the answer as to why it's not on that car, or it may be the product planner and or the bean counter saying, we're going to save the... $50, $100 $50, $100 or whatever on that car and uh, and not put it on there. So, yeah, I mean, it all comes down to to product planning and um, and finances, mm. effectively, as to whether they're going to do it. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the short answer is cost is the reason they haven't mm. done it. Mm. Okay. Thanks. How much does it cost to actually um, have it put in? Can it be put in as an after thing? I'm not aware of any companies that do that sort of thing. No doubt if you walked in with a big enough um, uh, checkbook, I'm sure that someone would make it happen somehow, but I'm not aware of anyone that, um, that does that sort of thing. It's not a, not a common aftermarket con- conversion or aftermarket accessory that I'm aware of. Mm. Um, and look, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of some of those, uh, those automatic tailgates for, for two reasons. One is... They tend to open and close slower than so. If you're in a hurry and you want to quickly open it and throw a bag in and close it, then it takes longer to you know wait for it to open up and close down. Uh, and secondly, I find if if you're packing a lot of things in, so if I've got a full boot and I've thrown everything in the back of it, and you press the button, and it comes all the way down nice and slowly, and it it touches one thing all of a sudden it has to reset and go all the way back up and you've got to try and work out what it hit. And <laughs> So you can't slam it. You, you can't, can't do the slam. You can't just can't go whack and try and get it closed. So, so yeah, I'm, I, I, look, they're practical in some instances and, and I love the ones that have got the, um, the kick sensor down underneath. So when you, you, know, you, you wave your foot under the back bumper and it um, automatically opens, so you, your hands are full of luggage or whatever and you don't have to fumble for keys. You just mm. wave your foot and all of a sudden the door opens. So that sort of thing's handy. But as I said, it's uh, I I don't race out of my way to try and get that sort of thing. <laughs> All right, Anne, thank you. Uh, uh, text. Oh, Mr. Freeze in Canberra says, Phil and Toby, you can't go wrong with a Camry for reliability. My 1999 V6 and 400,000 Ks, still on the original brake pads and lots of dirt roads and snowy roads. Mm. I know, they're a very reliable car. Oh, okay. they are. They're super yeah. reliable. And, and, yeah, I mean, you, you hear stories of... Mm. Of yeah, like half the, a million like plus the, like the K Corollas, cars, like the Corollas. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. But was I'm hearing you. I know what you're going to do with your <laughs> garage full of V8s. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, dear. One three hundred eight hundred triple two. I wonder whether something's changing, Toby. We've got three minutes left in the program. We haven't had a, a Land Cruiser question. No, we haven't. We better make one up. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I've got to find one. Here we go. Ray from Margaret River. Hi, Ray. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I do. I, Phil and Toby, I've got a Land Cruiser question. The, <laughs> Thank heavens. You, yeah, you, 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 Toby, your take on the weight limitations on the roof of the new Land Cruiser. So I'm trying to think what it is, 150 kilograms, is it, or 100? Well, it's, it's, it's got, a lot of, got a lot of aluminium to save weight. And yeah. The old 200 was 200 k's, I think. And the new one's 150 and, uh, yeah, look, they, you can't get an answer out of Toyota mm-hmm. because they're a bit cagey about it. I've been told 100 is the limit. Okay. Because often, I mean, a lot of four-wheel drives will give you a static load and a dynamic load. So the static being, you know, for someone who wants to put a um, camper truck or a, a, a tent on the top of the car, then it'll be, say, a 300-kilogram static load. So when the car's parked, um, you can have up to 300 kilograms up there. And then when it's moving, it's only 100 kilograms, something like that. So um, so a lot of them will have that sort of thing. Um, in terms of, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Land Cruisers generally haven't had a terrific um, payload, generally. So they haven't had, um, had a great uh, payload. They're, they're usually around about 600 kilograms, 650, I think, with the 300 series, somewhere around there. So loading generally hasn't been a strong suit for them, which is why a lot of people go and get a, uh, a GVM upgrade. They upgrade the, um, you know, get, get a different rating for the car and suspension and so on to, to allow it to carry more. In terms of the roof load, yeah, I mean, obviously the more the better on a car like that. But, um, uh, you See, know... I, you, the, the, there are people out there who probably want to go and get it to put a, a heavy roof rack on and put a tinny on the top and away they go. Yeah. But you can't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but, um, and look, there's a, f- a few little things on the Land Cruiser like that, the latest Land Cruiser that I think have gone backwards, but, um, but yeah, they, mm. they would be looking at it saying, well, we think the benefits elsewhere outweigh the, uh, bloke with the tinny. <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting, Ragi. Yeah, nice point. Thanks for raising it. Yeah. But I'll, I'll try Thanks. and look into that and try and figure yeah. out if we can get a, a load on yeah, it, yeah. get let's, an official let, thing. Let's try and do it for next time. All right, Tobes, we've, uh, we've run out of time. Sorry to everyone. Sorry, uh, John, Tony, Graham, Jim, Sam, Zach and Jamie. Didn't get a chance to get to your questions, but uh, Toby will be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, Toby, fantastic to have you with us and um, good luck. Sounds like a plan. Good on you, man. Uh, Toby Hagen with Motor Talk coming back. He'll be back in two weeks. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.